You know, there's sometimes that I read the Bible or I talk to other Christians or talk to other pastors and I, and I try to picture what it's like from an outsider's perspective, from somebody who's not a Christian, not a follower of Jesus. I'm trying to think, you know, how would this sound to somebody who doesn't know Jesus? And I think this has got to sound like the goofiest thing in the world. Some of the things that we say, some of the things that we think, some of the things that we believe to an outsider's perspective has just got to sound goofy. For example, uh, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That is goofy sounding, is it not? I mean, it's like the people who are going to kill you, you want to pray for and bless. Sounds goofy to me. Uh, Maybe some people would look at us and go, you know, you give up an hour a week to go to church and you give up 10% of your income uh, to to the offering and and what, what is wrong with you? You people sound so goofy. Or, you know, you carry your Bible around and you quote scripture. You, you people sound goofy sometimes. You believe in a God that sent his only son to die on a cross and uh, that, that by believing in him that he forgives your sins and you get to go to heaven. That, to, to an outsider, that's got to sound a little goofy. Well, I don't think it's goofy at all, personally. I think it's good news. And one of the things that I want to that we're going to do today is we're going to start a brand new sermon series called Where the Rubber Meets the Road. And it's based on the book of James. And uh, so for the next uh, several weeks, we're going to look at the book of James and we're going to talk about the intersection of faith and life. We're going to talk about how our faith impacts our life and the way that we live each and every day. Now, one of the things that uh, I think people think is that they can just kind of come to church once a week and kind of leave their faith at the door and, and uh, they'll pick it up next Sunday when they get here. Uh, there's times that we'll, uh, we'll go through the aisles, you know, through the roads and stuff. We'll see somebody left their Bible. And so we put it over on the coffee station and, and uh, you know, it's like, it's, it's great when somebody walks in and goes, oh, there it is. I've been looking for it all week. Well, that's great. And then somebody, it's like, they show up on Sunday. It's like, I wonder if I left my Bible here. I haven't seen it in a week. Are you, is your faith informing the way you live 24-7? Is your faith changing the way you live each and every day? Because see, that's what Christianity does. That's what faith does. It is to transform our lives and change us from the inside out every single day. And you can't just, like I said, leave it at the door and, and, and pick it up on your way back in next week. You've got to live out your faith every day. And that's what the book of James is all about. It's about that intersection of life and faith where we live out our faith each day. So whether you're a teenager or an elderberry or anywhere in between, we want to live out our faith every day. And so that's what we're going to talk about for the next several weeks is how James says we should live out our faith. Now, James was the brother of Jesus, which kind of sounds maybe strange to some people that Jesus had a brother. Jesus had brothers and sisters. We read about him in the Gospels. And sure enough, James was a leader in the church at Jerusalem and he was the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pretty cool. But he doesn't identify himself as the Lord's brother in his letter that he wrote to Jewish Christians in the first century. He never says, oh, and by the way, take my word for it because Jesus is my brother. He never says that. Instead, he identifies himself as a servant of God and of Jesus. So we're going to talk today about trials, tests, and temptations. 
And we're going to look at James chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. It's kind of a big passage of Scripture, so we're going to dive right into it. If you've got your Bible, turn to James chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. If you didn't bring one, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It looks like this. It's on page 854. Or you can always use your favorite Bible app on your smartphone or tablet and look it up there. So we're in James chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. We're going to consider, uh, we're going to look at the first eight verses first. And then we'll kind of go through the passage uh, this morning as we talk about tests, trials, and temptations. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Now, this is one of those goofy things, right? This is one of those goofy things that, that that people may look at and go, man, that sounds really goofy. Listen to this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. And when James uses the word brothers there, and he uses my brothers throughout the book, he's always referring to a gender neutral. It's brothers and sisters. So ladies, you're included too. We just want to make sure you know that. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Now, the word that is translated from the Greek into English as trial, as test, as temptation, is the same word. It's one word, and it's translated in three different ways here in James chapter 1. It's translated as test, trial, and temptation. And here uh, at the beginning, it's the word trial. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Now, like I said, this is one of them things that sounds goofy to me of why how could I consider the testing of my faith how could I consider a trial of life to be pure joy how why would I rejoice at a trial in my life and this is what James says because you know that when your faith is tested and when you're going through a trial it is developing character perseverance uh, it is developing maturity in your faith it's growing your faith You're becoming a a better Christian. You're becoming a better follower of Jesus. Your faith is growing and is deepening. That's how you can consider this joy. You've got to have a bigger picture than just the test that you're going through right now. You may be going through a trial in your life. You may be going through a test right now. And you may be thinking, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And I don't understand why I'm going through this. Have you ever gone through a test or a trial and you thought, I don't know why I'm going through this? It happens to a lot of people. It happens to us. Why am I going through this test? Why am I going through this trial? We'll ask the question, why me? Well, James says we should rejoice when we go through those various kinds of trials because those various kinds of trials produce perseverance and character and they help us grow in our faith. Uh, Peter said something very similar in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. He says, in all this you rejoice greatly, greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That there is a benefit to tests, a benefit to trials, and that is a deeper faith. 
That is the benefit to the tests and the trials that we go through. And we can consider it joy because we don't have our eyes on the big picture. We don't see the puzzle. I kind of think of my life sometimes as a giant puzzle that God is putting together. My little guy loves to do puzzles. He loves puzzles. And uh, we have several puzzles that are scattered throughout the house. He's losing pieces every day. Um, But uh, when he does a puzzle, he can see the picture of what the puzzle's going to look like because he's outside of the puzzle. The people in the puzzle, they have no idea what the puzzle looks like. But my little guy can see the puzzle because he's got the picture. God can see the picture of your life and how the puzzle's going to turn out. And though you may not feel like the test or the trial that you're going through is helping you in any way, the opposite is true. God is building your life. He is putting the puzzle together. And though you may not see how it's all going to turn out, he knows how it's going to turn out. So trust him in the trials of life. Trust him in the tests of your life, that he will put the puzzle together the way it should go. And you can rejoice in those tests. You can rejoice in those trials, even though they're hard, even though they're difficult, because it's growing your faith and it's making you deeper in your faith. Let's continue in verses 9 through 11. It says, The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. So again, one of those goofy things of, you know, if you're in a low position, uh, that you can take joy, that you can take pride in being poor. How many of you want to take pride in being poor? No hands. Wow, that's surprising. How many of you would rather take pride in being rich? Hey! No, what James is saying is that we need to ask for wisdom to understand that even if we're living high on the hog or underneath it, that we can uh, have joy uh, no matter our circumstances, no matter our economic status. We can take pride uh, in knowing that if we're poor, if we're poor, that we have a deeper faith. Because when you're poor, you've got to trust God for absolutely everything. If you don't know how you're going to make ends meet, you don't know where your next meal's going to come from, you don't know how you're going to clothe the kids to send them back to school. Teenagers, you guys are always poor. Amen? Teenagers? Amen? No? We have rich teenagers in our church, folks. No, those who struggle financially have to trust God more. And that is the high position of which James refers to. Those who are rich, he says, take pride in your low position, meaning just knowing that uh, just because you have money today doesn't mean it's going to be there tomorrow. You may have money today, but remember the recession of 2008, how many people lost so much of their uh, retirement funds because of the, the stock market issues? You could lose your job tomorrow. You could be laid off from, the, from your job. That just because you have money today doesn't mean you're going to have it tomorrow. So trust God. Even if you're rich, know that it can be gone tomorrow. Trust God. And that's the the point of all this is that James is trying to tell us that we need to trust in the Lord for all of our needs, for the things that he can provide, for the ways that he will provide. We need to trust him. And then we need the wisdom to ask for the wisdom to be able to trust God in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. Um, Let's look at verse 12. 
Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And one of the interesting things is, like I said, that same word is used, that same Greek word for test and trial and temptation is used here, only it's used in a more specific context. He says that uh, we need to endure trials, and this has to do with persecution. He's talking about persecution, because persecution is going to come. Persecution will come one way or another. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about that in just a few minutes, about what Jesus said about persecution. But when it comes to the trials of persecution that come our way, we have to endure them. We don't, uh, we have to withstand those trials. We don't find it easy to rejoice in persecution, but again, we go back to the first part of this chapter where James says we should rejoice in the testing and the trials of our faith. And that includes persecution. Because when we endure persecution, when we withstand persecution, when we stand the test, uh, stand through the test and stand firm through the test, there is a crown of life. Uh, it's kind of like a, um, a gold medal in the Olympics. Uh, how many of you watched the Olympics this year? You got to see all of our, our athletes who, who work so hard and they train for so long uh, in order to become uh, gold medal athletes. And, and that's the prize. They want to get that gold medal. In those days, it wasn't a gold medal that they would give to the victors of the games. Uh, it was a, uh, uh, like a laurel wreath that would, that would be placed on their heads. I don't know about you, but I'd rather have the gold medal than some old leafy plant on my head. But it's neither here nor there. I'm not winning any of them. Uh, but uh, I like pizza rolls way too much. Um, so it's still a struggle. It's a struggle, folks. It is. But when it comes to winning the crown of life, we have to endure the trials of persecution and not give up on our faith even though we may be persecuted for believing in Jesus. Uh, Peter says, uh, Paul says something similar to Timothy toward the end of his life. He says, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will, will award to me on that day and not only to me but also to those who have longed for his appearing. And then in 1 Peter 5, 4, Peter wrote, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. There is a reward for withstanding persecution. There is a reward for faithfulness. That if you will faithfully walk with Jesus all through your life, there is a reward that is waiting for you. Doesn't that sound great? I mean, this life that we live is not in vain. This race that we run is not in vain. Uh, Withstanding trials and tests and temptations, that's not in vain. We are running for a prize, and the prize is heaven. And God has promised it to those who will withstand and endure the tests and the trials of life. Let's keep going. Uh, Verses 13 through 18. When tempted... No one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So we see that God does not tempt us. That God is not trying to prove how strong you are because of 
his, uh, because he, he wants to see, you know, are you strong enough to survive this temptation? I'm going to tempt you to sin to see if you can measure up, to see if you can stand up to this, to this test. That's not how God works. That's not what God does. The Bible says that God is not evil. He cannot be tempted by evil. No, God is holy. He does not tempt us. He desires holiness in our lives. Why would he lead us into temptation if he wants us to be holy? He knows that we're weak. He knows that we're frail. He knows that we're made of dust. He knows that we're sinners. God desires holiness in us. Why would he lead us to temptation? No, rather, James says it's those evil desires that are within us. They're already there. Your sinful nature is already there. Uh, the, the language that he uses there is reminiscent of fishing. How many of you like to fish? I love to fish. You know, I love to put the, well, I don't love to put the worm on the hook. I, I, if I want the fish, I've got to put the worm on the hook. So I put the worm on the hook. It's disgusting. It's gross, but that's all right. And I toss it out uh, into the water, and I just wait. And I kind of jiggle the line a little bit and draw it in a little bit, and all of a sudden, Snap! And I got that fish on that line, and I rip it in there, and oh, yeah, I feel like a man when I'm fishing. So I, I whatever. So anyway, I bring the fish in, and, and, and that's what sin is like in our lives. That's what temptation is like in our lives. And tim, sin and temptation will kill you. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Now, when it comes to temptation... Like it says, no one should say that God is tempting me. God is not tempting you. He is not testing you with temptation. He's not testing you with sin. And we've been blaming God for our sins since the very beginning. You go all the way to the back to the Garden of Eden, and what happens? Adam eats from the fruit. God comes walking along saying, what's going on, Adam? Uh, nothing. Did you eat from the tree? Uh, yeah, but it, uh, it, it wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. It, it was the woman you gave me. That's what Adam said. He said, it was the woman you gave me. In other words, God, this is your fault. When it was me and you, God, we were cool. Everything was fine. Everything was sweet. And then you gave me the woman. And the woman made me sin. And so it's your fault, God. How many of you ever, God is not, God was not tempting Adam. He was not testing Adam. Okay, I'm going to give you the woman and see what happens. You know, but I, I, I want to see, Adam, if you're strong enough to withstand temptation. That's not the way God works. And so you may be thinking, well, God is trying to see how strong I am. No, he's not. If anything, God knows you're weak when it comes to temptation. He knows you're weak when it comes to sin. And this is what it says uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. God is not tempting you to see how strong you are. He knows you're weak and he's going to provide a way out. The problem is when temptation comes calling, we don't look for the way out. We look for the sin. It's like, oh, this is going to feel good for a minute. And then what happens? Then the guilt comes and the shame, and what did I do that for? And that was stupid. That was dumb. But we don't look for the way out. But God is faithful, it says. He promises to show us a way out. But we don't take the way out. We need to look for the way out. We need to follow the Holy Spirit's prompting and guidance, and we need to take the way out instead of giving in to temptation. So when we go through tests, when we go through trials, when we go through temptations, James says we need to consider it pure joy because those tests, those trials, those temptations will make us stronger and they will help us to find the way out when we're tempted. We will turn to God in faith. 
for the things that we need, for him to provide the things that we need. Our faith grows, our resolve grows, and we find the way out of temptation. So what does this look like on a practical daily basis? Well, let's talk about finances for just a second. James talks about finances. What does it mean for our financial lives? You know, let's face it, none of us are living really, really too high on the hog. We're having a, a, several of us struggle each and every day, each and every week. Payday comes around, and it's like, oh my goodness, how am I going to make ends meet this week? Payday is still two weeks away. The paycheck I got yesterday was spent a week ago. I mean, you ever do that? Anybody? Ever? No? Nobody? I'm the only one? Okay, all right. Uh, hold up the mirror. Talk to yourself, Sean. Okay. But when you're living paycheck to paycheck, whether you're in retirement or whether you're a teenager, you got no money, or whether you're uh, you know, middle-aged or a young adult, whatever you're at in your situation, when you're trying to make ends meet, it's hard. It's difficult. And we've got to trust in God to provide for all that we need. We need to trust him to, to provide our daily bread. Uh, in fact, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Your father knows what you need before you even ask him. So God knows what you need. He knows that you're in need. Are you trusting him to provide? And, and it's hard. You know, the furnace goes out. That's $2,000 you got to replace in the middle of winter. Goodness. The water heater goes out. Anybody ever have a water heater go out? That's 600 bucks. That's not even installed. That's for, a, that's for like a small water heater. You lose your job. You get laid off. They lay off half the plant. What are you going to do? You ain't got thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in the bank to survive a recession. Retirement? <laughs> Who can save for retirement? You got bills out, uh, bills galore. What are you going to do? You got to trust in the Lord. You got to trust in God to provide. You know, the Bible tells us that he will provide our daily bread. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is, when he gives us the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. And I believe that God will provide the oil, he'll provide the water, he'll provide the flour. Are you going to bake the bread? That's one thing to say, okay, loaves of bread fly, fall from the sky. I think sometimes God provides the things that we need and we've got to bake the bread. So bake the bread. Don't just sit around waiting for the loaves to fall from the sky. Trust in him to provide for your needs, knowing that he cares for you and that he loves you and he will provide. Uh, the second area that I want to talk about for just a minute is persecution. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20, he said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. It's a guarantee. Persecution will come. You follow Jesus. You walk with Christ. You're a Christian, you believe in Christ, persecution will come. It may be somebody making fun of you, it may be your life on the line. We have brothers and sisters all over the world whose lives are in danger because of their faith, whether it's in China or North Korea, ISIS in the Middle East, people are dying for their faith. And it's only a matter of time before it comes here, folks. Oh, no, 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 that'll never happen. Really? You want to? It'll happen. Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. 
Are you willing to stand up for your faith? Are you willing to have that resolve, to have that determination? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins? Are you willing to stake your life on it? When persecution comes, will you stand firm under that test, under that trial? Because if you do, the Bible promises a crown of life. The last thing I want to talk about is temptation. And this idea that, that God is tempting me in order to show how strong I am. That's not the case. God is not tempting you. He's not tempting you to sleep with your boyfriend or your girlfriend to say, Oh, see, look at how strong I am. I resisted this time. It's not what God is doing. He's not tempting you to get high or to get drunk. To say, Oh, look, see, I resisted this time. He's not tempting you to steal. He's not tempting you to cheat on your taxes or to cheat on your spouse with another person's spouse. He's not tempting you to do those things so you can demonstrate, look, I'm strong. That's not it. It's those evil desires within us, those evil desires that are already within us that cause us to want to, to sin. And what does God promise? He promises a way out. He doesn't promise temptation he promises a way out of temptation. Will you take that way out? Because the tests are going to come. The temptations are going to come. You will be tempted this week to lie, to steal, to cheat, mess around, whatever. You will be tempted this week. I guarantee it. If you're not, then climb out of your bubble. Because you're living in a bubble. And even then you're probably tempted in some way tempted to vandalize my bubble I don't know whatever's going on in your life you will be tempted and you will have tests and you will have trials they will come your way whatever age you are no matter if you're young no matter if you're older no matter uh, if you're middle aged no matter where you are temptations trials and tests will come your way how are you going to deal with them do you have the resolve to withstand the tests of your faith do you have the determination to withstand persecution? Do you have the, the Holy Spirit within you to overcome temptation and to look for that way out? See, my friends, that's where the rubber meets the road. Where the rubber meets the road is when that faith and that life intersects, where, where that, that trial and that test and the Holy Spirit intersect, where your faith intersects with that, with that trial. And if you will stand up firm under that test, if you will stand up firm under that trial, if you will look for that way out of that temptation that God has promised you a crown of life. And the good news is, is that we're not always going to stand up firm. We're going to give in to temptation. We're going to give in to the test. We're going to give in to the trial. We're going to fall short. But God is faithful to forgive so that when we fall short, he will make up the difference by his grace. And for that, we praise him. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you give us more grace. That when we are tempted, when we are tried, when we are tested, Lord God, you, you forgive us when we fail. You forgive us when we fall short. Lord, help us to see it as a pure joy to be able to grow in faith to mature in our faith so that we are not lacking anything I pray today for my brothers and sisters here 
and ask that, Lord, you would protect them from the evil one, protect them from temptation this week, and help us all to, to see the way out when we are tempted. Give us the resolve to stand firm under tests and trials, that we would be faithful to Jesus no matter what. Should persecution break out against us, may we be faithful to Jesus. Should our financial situation get tough this week, help us to be faithful to Jesus. Give us the wisdom that you promise so that we might see the joy in the tests and the trials. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.